Hi, I'm Michael Sunoff, founder and CEO of HardToFindSeminars.com. For the last five years, I've interviewed the world's best business and marketing minds. Along the way, I've created a successful publishing business, all from home, from my two-car garage. When my first child was born, he was very sick, and it was then that I knew I had to have a business that I could operate from home. Now my challenge is to build the world's largest free resource for online downloadable MP3 audio business interviews. I knew I needed a site that contained strategies, solutions, and inside angles to help you live better, to save and make more money, to stay healthier, and to get more out of life. I've learned a lot in the last five years, and today I'm going to show you the skills you need to survive. There's an essence to what I teach. It's that whole reality that human beings, regardless of the amount of money involved in the relationship, buy with their heart, and they remember people who remember them as people. So all I've really done in my life is try to help companies and help their salespeople systematize the emotional side of educating and communicating and appreciating and maintaining contact with people, whether they have gotten to be too small for the sales rep to continually personally sell to or whether they're so far distant that it just wouldn't make sense to go see them personally or whether they're a very slow adopting but real opportunity. That's really been my focus in my life is try to figure out a way to make software automate and systematize that process so that a sales rep could put somebody on an appropriate campaign with a keystroke and have most of the heavy lifting like the printing and the stuffing and the folding, everything but the signing done by an admin. Very nice to meet you, Jim. I had first heard about you when I first got into marketing, and my first exposure to marketing was Jay Abraham's Protege Training Seminar. And I remember the name very well, and I remember listening to you as one of the presenters at that seminar. How did you get into or get even hooked up with Jay Abraham? I had a client um, who owned a string of uh, dry cleaning stores, very wealthy man, who owned a yacht that he kept harbored in uh, Maui, and so he invited me uh, to join him and five or six of his senior executives in Hawaii for a five-day retreat. And they were going to play golf. And since I can't handle the tropic sun, I stayed back on the yacht. And, and sort of in passing on his way out to play golf one morning, he pitched me a whole subscription of Jay's uh, For Your Marketing Eyes Only or Marketing Genius newsletter, uh, beautiful gray-bound little newsletters. And uh, I started reading this guy's material and probably had the same experience you've had and thousands of others have had, and that his light bulb started going on like magic. I mean, it was like everything I'd ever believed in or ever read or ever studied was laid out for me in perfect order. And what were you doing at that time? I was doing marketing consulting, helping people learn how to go to market uh, by identifying certain customers. How long had you been in it at that time? Oh, probably five or six years. How did you get into marketing consulting? What were you doing then? I owned an office equipment company and sold it in 1986 and had enough money to do your life's dream, and that had always been to do Salesforce processing consulting, trying to figure out how armed salespeople with the power tools that are so necessary to be involved in what I call the multiple contact or the high value or the high complex sale. Had you been operating out of Seattle all this time? 
since 1977. Okay. Where are you from originally? Kentucky. So in any event, I got back to Seattle and, uh, and finished up the work for the client, and, uh, but I never forgot this material about Jay Abraham. And so he had let me have two or three of the copies to, to study more intently, and on the back cover of one of the copies was an 800 number. So I figured this stuff must be eight or seven or eight years old. The copies I was looking at, so I figured a guy that smart, imagine what he's learned between then and now. So I just wanted to call that 800 number and get on their mailing list, see what else they had for sale. Right. Well, it was a Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I called the 800 number, and this guy says, Jay Abraham. So I told him who I was, and I said, I feel like I owe you a lot of money. And he said, well, it's nice of you to call. How do you want to start paying me? <laughs> Doesn't that sound like Jay? Yeah, it does. First conversation. So in any event, that led to me telling him that story, and him asking me what I did, and I told him that I was on the sales side, uh, basically uh, committed to helping salespeople succeed by using the emerging technology that was even then uh, still in the province of the mainframe. The airlines had the frequent flyer program, but nobody else had the capability at all of helping salespeople stay in touch. And so I told him about that. He said, why don't you come down? He said, we don't do much on sales, but he said, that's a big part of marketing. Why don't you uh, come down and do a talk for us? So I did, and I got invited back, I don't know, seven or eight of them. I said, I got to sit on stage, played master ceremonies for a couple of them. No, I remember you up there as like the panel. Yeah. So it was a good experience for you? It was, you know, one of those transformational experiences in life when you find out that things you've been doing intuitively and learning the way he learned them had been written down. You know, even though there were no rules, there were certainly a set of, of ideas and strategies that had been tested and proven by others. He became such a great foundation for my continued learning, as you have, um, uh, in in the method methodologies of succeeding uh, in the field of persuasion. Interest, though, has always been in business-to-business side of the sector. I've never really done much in consumer. My entire career for the last 18 years now has been devoted to one mission, and that is to teach people how to nurture. Okay. Now, so what does that mean? What does it mean to teach people how to nurture? It's an amazing word. If you think about it, it's one of the few words that you can never say in anger. Nurturing has a peaceful softness to it. It should. Its origin, origin was in the Babylonian language. It, it defined breastfeeding, nutra. Well, okay. That has translated to nurture, which essentially I call intensive caring. When you nurture a child, it's more than just feeding them. You know, when you nurture a friendship or nurture a client or nurture a, a business or uh, nurture a, a alliance, I mean, nurturing is intensive caring. It's more than just feeling I love you. I, it's showing it. And that's where so many companies as the sales cycle has gotten longer and the products have gotten more complex. It becomes more and more difficult for companies to help sales reps maintain those personal touches often over years-long selling cycles, buying cycles. What are some of the problems that face these companies? Why is it so difficult for them to do that? Well, first of all, salespeople are, are oral, are, are verbal people. They are trained from the, almost the day they go into this business to present verbally, but they're really never trained to write well at all. Most hated sales activity for most salespeople is proposal writing. And so as a result, you can imagine how difficult it might be for the sales rep who is compensated 
for a relentless pursuit of low-hanging fruit who is not compensated for pampering seedlings, not pampering baby plants that will grow someday into giants. They're paid for picking low-hanging fruit. So now to expect that they would recognize a high potential but long seduction and then also to have the bandwidth in the midst of this hurly-burly make quota this month, we got to hit the numbers this quarter, to slow down a minute and write a few love notes. Send a copy of an article. Find a book. Nurture them. Tamper the relationship. Let them demonstrate by how you behave. Let them see what it will be like to work with you by how you sell. Was this some of the material that you really brought into that protege seminar that Jake talks about all the time? If you remember the slug, that was a mailing piece that we were doing at times. The slug was designed to be a lumpy, but then the slug also was a metaphor, remember? Mm -hmm. It was the sluggish sales force almost always creates a sluggish bottom line, which naturally teases into the letter and naturally will get the letter read. And probably remembered longer than the same content without the slug attached to it. Now, that was a long time ago. Where did you get the idea for the lumpy mail, the slug? I was just basically doing research for, um, uh, for Microsoft, helping them figure out how do we get sales appointments for analytical beanbag-type salespeople. And we were helping them develop go-to-market strategies for their some 10,000 partners at that time around the world. And we created something then called the Nurture Selling Process, which essentially was was really a campaign of going to market by helping the individual partners identify, first of all, who are the most likely suspects in a territory and some various strategies on how to do that. Many came from Jay. And then after identifying them to individualize, get it into a database and begin to build a dossier and a profile on the people that must be influenced over time, and then we taught them step three then as to how to make automated processes. You mentioned autoresponder. That was an automated process. How to use automated processes technology uh, to make certain that no one ever got forgotten and that all of the critical messages were woven into touches over time that took the problem off of the salesperson's shoulders didn't require that they suddenly become poetic and articulate and literate and have great memories. We just automated the process for them. Part of our company was early on even actually helping companies design their strategies and actually create the campaigns and write the letters. And, and then uh, it evolved into a consulting firm that that's basically all we do now is help companies train their teams to utilize some of the fabulous software that's become available for even the smallest business today that makes drip marketing simple administrative process. Give me a success story. Give me a small to medium-sized business. A failure first. All right, tell me about a failure first. I did something early on, even while I was uh, working with Jay, I did something called the Nurture Boot Camp. And that was for, let's just take, a, in, in this case, a financial advisor who realizes they've got to go to market and they've got to become known to and influential with business owners. So I would put on a boot camp for a weekend, inviting the planner to come with their administrator and maybe one of their um, go-to-market reps and spend the weekend with other teams and me here in Seattle, and I would teach them how to create a drip campaign. 
Mm-hmm. How much would you charge for the boot camp? Oh, I think it was like 15000 or something like that for three days. One guy came, and we'll call him a Bud, but he was a very well-off financial advisor. He was in a six-figure income and was going for a seven-figure income, but you could tell his personality was not a schmoozer. Mm-hmm. He was an analytical. He was a brilliant, brilliant market timer and tactician on stocks and with computers, but he had no more personality than a twig. Okay. And so, fortunately, the person that came along with him was his marketing person. In fact, this bud stood up during the opening session, and he said, just don't try to teach me how to write no damn love letters. You don't have to do that. His cohort said, don't worry about it. Uh, I'll take care of the love letters for him. We'll just get him to sign them. Okay. So, nonetheless, we went through the program, and the guy went home, and... And we stayed in touch for probably about six months, but uh, I wasn't getting much feedback like Jay used to complain about. I wasn't getting much feedback from him. And then you get busy and you move on. So finally, about two years later, I ran into this guy at a, um, a financial planning conference over at, at that big resort in Phoenix, the Phoenician. And there was a trade show floor, and I was going by to drop off something at a booth. And it was before it had opened, and I looked up, and here comes this bud. Yeah. And he sees me, <laughs> and he ducks me. He literally ducked down an aisle. So I'm figuring, wait a minute now, what's going on? Why is this guy ducking me? So I went after him. And I found him, and I said, why'd you duck me anyhow? And he said, oh, I'm embarrassed. And I said, why? He said, well, you did all that work for us. And he said, I spent all that money. And he said, I ain't doing your damn nurturing stuff. Mm-hmm. And I said, you're not? And he said, well, I'm doing it the way you said do it. And I said, how are you doing it? He said, well, he said, you know, he said, never forgot about the birthday cards. And he said, you know, the older you get, the fewer you get. And he said, I, I, that got to me, and I knew it was a good idea, but I knew I was never going to write, sit down and write love notes on birthdays. And he said, one Saturday morning I was working in my office, and he said, some guy was in there stringing cable to put in a new high-speed uh, line for our computers. And he said, I started talking to him about it while he was had mine down. And I told him, I said, I've got all of my clients' birthdays in my database. He said, would there be any way that you could make those things come up on the screen like a screensaver every day? Just a name and the phone number just to remind me. Might Maybe I call them or send them flowers or something. The guy said, hey, that's no problem. I'll do that for you. So the next thing you know, Monday morning he walks in. Sure enough, they're floating on the screen are six names. And he's telling me the story. So he said, I just... Uh, punched the button on the first one, and he said, it dialed the phone for me. So he said, I got the person's answering machine, and he said, I kind of bumbled around a little bit, but I said, this is Bud so-and-so, and I'm your financial advisor, and he said, I'm just calling to wish you a happy birthday and hope you have many more, and all the best, and if I could do anything to help you have a better one, just give me a call. And he left his phone number, and he hung up, and he said he was so giddy almost because he had found a way to be intimate without having to get personal. So he said he popped through those next nine names, and every one of them were a voicemail. And he said that night he could hardly wait to get home and tell his wife that he had discovered a way of systematizing touches to customers without having to get intimate with them. And about that time, the phone rang, and guess who was calling? It was the number one phone call he made that morning. And this lady, he said he thought she was drunk because he wasn't sure whether she was sick or drunk, <laughs> but she was sniffling and blowing through her nose when she was crying on the phone. And he said is there anything I can do to help you? And she said, don't you think you've done enough for one damn birthday? <laughs> and he said, what have I done? Did I get the date wrong? And she goes, oh, no, you got the date right, all right. And she started crying again. And he said, well, what's wrong with me wishing you a happy birthday? And he, she said, it's not the fact. 
It's the fact that on my 50th birthday, you're the only person that remembered in my whole life. And she said, I still can't get over it. The only person that remembers me having a birthday is someone I pay money to for advice. And she, he kept just trying to calm her down. He said, I hope you know I wouldn't have caused you pain, and I'm so sorry that I did that. You know, and he said he felt like he was in a trap, and she said, oh, God, I wish you were a stockbroker. He said, I am a stockbroker. And she said, no, you're not. You're a financial planner. I got a stockbroker. He's a jerk. That's hilarious. And he said, well, what do I got to do to convince you that I'm actually licensed as a stockbroker? And he said, I, only t I don't talk about it because it's only a part of what I do for my clients. She said, you mean to say you could do a transaction? He said, I could do it right now. She said, can you do it right now? And I said, he said, I'll come over right now and I'll bring a cake if you want. So next thing you know, he's over there. She's got a $10 million rollover. Mm -hmm. And she didn't want her stockbroker to get another penny. He said, he looked at me and he kind of smiled. He said, no, he said, you taught me a lesson that day. And he said, I never did learn how to write notes. But he said, I have learned how to sing happy birthday in six languages. You know, and I think if there's an essence to what I teach, mm -hmm. it's that whole reality that human beings, regardless of the amount of money involved in a relationship, buy with their heart, and they remember people who remember them as people. There's no doubt. And so all I've really done in my life is, is systematize, try to help companies and help their salespeople systematize the, uh, the emotional side of, of educating and communicating and appreciating uh, and maintaining contact with people, uh, whether they have uh, gotten to be too small for the sales rep to continually personally sell to or whether they're so far distant that it just wouldn't make sense to go see them personally or whether they're a very slow adopting but real opportunity. That's really been my focus in my life is try to figure out a way to make software automate and systematize that process so that a sales rep could put somebody on an appropriate campaign with a keystroke and have most of the heavy lifting like the printing and the stuffing and the folding, everything but the signing done by an admin. Okay. So you told me that was a failure. Now, do you have a success story on a small to medium-sized business? Well, there's a, a young man who um, came to hear me speak at a conference down in Palm Desert, I don't know, six years ago, I guess. And he brought his admin because they had started in the life insurance business with New York Life, and he was finishing his rookie year, and he was realizing that he didn't have a process for meeting the right people. And he heard me do this talk on nurture, and I had, at that time, a very simple kit, like fifteen hundred bucks, and it was called the Nurture Solution for Financial Advisors. Mm -hmm. And it was a complete twelve-month on Word, Microsoft Word disk, go-to-market plan. All they had to do was finalize it with their name and any particulars about their story, and maybe articles about them as the attachments. But I wrote the letters, including the enclosures and the slugs and all of that stuff. And this guy heard me speak and talk about how Nurture was truly a cure for the cold call because literally it had been proven to cause ideal prospects to call the sender when they are ready to buy because they remember them. So he heard me say that. He went in the back of the room and bought this box, and I never heard from him for like two years. And then maybe three years go by, and I did get a call from his admin named Lori, and she said, Brian needs a 100 of your audio tapes that you talk about nurture. It was an interview very much like you're doing with me. I said, for what? Well, he's gotten rather famous with the company, and he's been asked to make speeches. And so he says, 
it's his total success comes just because he bought that simple kit and plugged it in and used it. Now, you had developed this for financial planners, and this was a program, a nurture program you were marketing to financial planners. Uh-huh. And, and you could use it on Act or Goldmine or Siebel or SalesLogix or Microsoft CRM, any of them. I mean, if you had a programmer or if you had any kind of skills to make software do things you wanted and had word processing skills, all you had to do was import these letter campaigns and give it to an admin and say, put those on my letterhead and put them on my desk once a month for signature. Now, you customized and wrote all the letters and all the nurturing communications within uh-huh. that. How many were there in that? There were a dozen in the prospecting plan and a dozen in the retention plan. Okay, so you've got 24 communications that a financial planner is going to use in your nurture program. And, and an audio-based workshop a full day on the whole concept of nurturing relationships. And most of these financial planners are doing nothing but cold calling. They make the sale, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. They never call these people. They get get referrals, and then they follow up, and they find out that it's not a hot referral, and they dump it. Nurture just lets them persist without calling up and saying, did you change your mind yet? All right, so let's use this as an example. I've got this software, and I have Goldmine, which is some sort of contact management software, right? And then I implement and customize my letters to fit my particular market, and then it's systematized. So I know if I make a contact with Jim Cecil today and you're interested in some financial planning, you are in my system, and you're going to hear from me probably 24 times how long does the campaign go for, right? Right now, in the financial planners community, it's four years. Four years. Yeah, because most of the experts are saying that the truly affluent will often take four to five years before they are ready to make a change with their current source. Let's say I'm a financial planner. I've got your system. Give me specifics on how these communications are going to be delivered to my prospects. Well, first of all, I tell them to start slowly because when you start using personalized contacts and mail, it has to be perfect. If I call you Mr. Cecile, and your name is Cecil, uh, and I do that in an automated process, I'm going to make you mad 20 times. I call it scrubbing the database. And that's why I tell them, start with your 20 most important clients, and then start with the retention plan. What's that? Well, that's the 12 step for your current customers. And give that to an admin, and have them put it on your best letterhead, and put it on your desk for signature. Okay. And just start with your top 20. And then by the end of the third month, you will probably make a phone call. It's called for somewhere between the fourth, fifth, and sixth call contacts. And it's basically just a permission call. I've been writing to you. A, I wanted to find out if, it, if I had your permission to continue to do that. If it seems relevant, if there's anything in particular I could do, blah, blah, blah. The communications with before those three months, are these long communications? Are they designed to educate? Are they just thinking of you? How are you doing? If you need anything, give me a call. All of the above. Most importantly, though, they are tightly focused. For an example, the one for financial advisors was written for financial advisors who had targeted the owners of small and medium business enterprises, up to about $100 million in size. Because most in the financial planning world, most of the experts say that's where the affluence is in America. It's in the business owners. And so if you're going to target, rather than just taking a mailing list of a zip code, you identify the business owners, that you have some ability to provide real value to them other than just your financial planning. Mm-hmm. So I tell people, narrow knit. If you're going to go prospecting, figure out who it is that you could really help first. Mm-hmm. And then figure out what you've learned that would be useful to them even if they didn't hire you. Make sure all of that is a part of your communique so that, that a person, as I said earlier, 
often people will find out how you will s serve them by watching how you sell them. So if you're a giver, if the things you send them benefit them and don't cost them anything, and they are a true gift from you, you make far more impact than if you're just writing stories about yourself. So a nurture campaign has been carefully studied over the last 12 years in 20 countries across the world where it's currently used by major corporations like Microsoft, but mainly used by their reseller partners. Is this Jim Cecil's nurture campaign? Uh-huh. For financial advisors, is only one of eight industries where we've created such a go-to-market campaign that allows almost anyone utilizing modern software, CRM software. What's that stand for? CRM is Customer Relationship Management Software. Okay. So it's very much like... Contact database type. Exactly. Okay. What are some other industries that you have nurture campaigns for? Uh, especially in the technology fields. Companies that are integrators of software, like Microsoft Certified Partners or IBM Certified Partners, anyone that must sell high-ticket or high-tech solutions to high-level executives and businesses and corporations, we've created a whole series of go-to-market plans for them. But also in the financial services, we've done some of the largest banks in the United States to help their individual loan officers or account development officers go to market. We have a complete program for the property and casualty insurance industry and for the employee benefits industry and for um, the mortgage banking industry and for real estate. And so we pretty well covered the 10 industries that have the largest sales forces in the world and created pre-written and pre-strategized go-to-market campaigns for a sales rep or for those companies that want to have customized go-to-market campaigns written and utilizing those customer relationship software. So a company will, will hire your firm to develop a complete campaign. What do you charge for a service like that? You know, that's, that's kind of like how much gas mileage will a car get. Exactly. Uh, I guess it all depends. If a company, um, uh, an individual, as I said, can go to the website and buy the 21 best strategies that I've ever discovered for nurturing customers, four bucks. Now, obviously, with all the, with what you know and the experience with Jay Abraham, I mean, you and I both know there's all kinds of aspects in marketing, and you've settled on nurture, this continual, consistent, soft, sensitive, nurturing campaign. Why have you chosen this particular strategy compared to any other marketing strategy, and what results do you see this strategy compared to other marketing strategies? You could do different marketing. Obviously, I think you found something that really works. Can you expand on that? Well, the biggest problem, I believe, that if you look at where the money is wasted in marketing, it is almost always the biggest amount of waste are the opportunities not explored mm -hmm. or not persisted. There's a wonderful research on business to business. Now, by the way, all of this is business to business, but on leads in business to business. An average lead, it, if it's a trade show lead or an advertising inquiry, it's usually 60 and 65 days before the person is responded to. Right. There's a problem. Absolutely. There's a second, even worse problem, and that is um, uh, how leads are handled. They are distributed to salespeople or dealers, and the average rep will make three attempts to reach the person inquiring and if they do not receive at least a warm response among those three voicemails, 
mm-hmm. they're over. They never make another contact. And that's usually done in the first 90 days. It's really interesting. If you analyze the buyer's side, the average lead that comes into a seller, the average that buys within 90 days is mm-hmm. under 10%. So that means all of the sales activity that's trying to sort through leads is aborted by the end of 90 days. And yet, most of the buying activity happens after the sixth month. In fact, 31% buy after the 24th month. Yet, most salespeople stop any kind of seduction or pursuit primarily because maybe somebody's schedule didn't coordinate with the phone calls they were getting. Right. Or maybe they just didn't have you high enough on a priority to call you back didn't change the fact that they had pain that caused them to inquire. They just weren't ready to talk yet. And yet, the company that received those leads, that paid hundreds of dollars for the leads, allowed them to be aborted after three attempts. So Nurture came along and said, wait a minute, what would happen if after the sales reps had given up whatever their tolerance was, and yet because of some information you received on that lead that said they were qualified otherwise as a prospect, why not put them in a drip plan on behalf of the sales rep? Drip on them for six months or 12 months. Sales rep doesn't even have to be there, but at least stay in touch with them, at least acknowledge it. So, yeah, there's some incredible stories of companies that have, uh, have leveraged 15 and 20 and 30% gains just out of uh, orphaned customers, customers that uh, just weren't big enough anymore to merit live sales reps, or especially the orphaned leads. People's lives are like a moving river. There's always changes. There's divorces. There's deaths. There's changes in careers. There's new opportunities. It's always changing. And you, as long as you keep in touch with them, you never know when you're going to get someone on that upswing. When you talk to top producers in the mortgage business, they teach their top to plan on making at least 150 contacts before you give up. Wow. That's 12 years. Top producers are being trained that? Top producers are being trained to make a system work that will allow you to stay in touch on a monthly basis for 12 years. Now, let me ask you this. What percentage of people in the mortgage game are top producers? One Three to 5%. Percent. Three to 5%. And in the, in the, over a million a year. And the rest are probably making how many contacts? None. None. They don't even send you a thank you note. And you know why? It's not because they don't have good sense. It's not because they don't have good hearts. It's because they don't have process. People ask me, why do you keep working? I keep working because great companies have made great software that now have taken something that was a very esoteric, albeit intelligent way to build a business uh, and made it simple. Microsoft CRM was launched about a year and a half ago. Okay, so let's talk about the software, the actual tool I can put on my computer as I'm listening to you and talking to you. I've got the idea, and tell me about this software and how I'm going to be able to use it. What is it going to do for me? What tools does it provide today that it maybe didn't provide 15 years ago when you were doing these seminars? This is the end of part one. Please continue to part two.
Did you know that I buy and pay cash for old marketing seminars? You may be a person who has a closet full of old marketing seminars just sitting there, waiting to be sold for cash. Well, if you do, I'm looking for Jay Abraham, Gary Halbert, old vintage marketing seminars, audio tapes, and books. And all you got to do is pick up the phone and call me or email me a list of what you have. I'll make you a cash offer on the spot, and you can turn some of that stuff that's just sitting they're doing nothing into cash that you can reinvest in some of my other products on the site or to do whatever you want with. That's another tip from Michael Sinoff, hardtofindseminars.com.